I'm Helen Marshall, and this is the Diary of a CLO. I hope no one's listening, but if you are, definitely share it. In this episode, I'm joined by Ileana Montauk, who is the co-founder and CEO of Monara. They are revolutionizing the way companies hire diverse tech talent, specifically from the Middle East and North Africa. And they also promote communities of connection for individuals looking for a new or next role. They really are paving the way as the only company doing what they do in this space. They are absolutely one to pay attention to. Enjoy. Ileana, hi and welcome to Diary of a CLO. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to get stuck into to our conversation today um, because you've got such a brilliant story and uh, the, the story behind your company Monara which you which you co-founded is really interesting as well and I think there's going to be some some really good stuff to come out of the conversation so are, are you able to tell me a little bit about your story your personal story but also then what led you into founding Monara too? Absolutely. Although, honestly, I think it's my co-founder's story that's even more important. So let me start with hers. She and I met when we were both living in Gaza and I was there temporarily. She had grown up there. I don't know how much you or your audience know about Gaza. I think people have varied levels of knowledge, but I'll just very briefly explain that it's a tiny part of Palestine that's about 30 kilometers by six kilometers and it's basically closed up uh, due to political reasons. People who grow up there can't go in or out very easily. Um, and they go through wars pretty frequently. But at the same time, it's very highly educated. And so when I met Layla there, she was a first year out of college and she had graduated at the top of her class uh, with a degree in engineering and was not able to find a job locally. And most people who end up in that situation, especially women, don't really think of a lot of other options. But she, for whatever reason, was aware of Silicon Valley, of startups, of Paul Graham and Jessica Livingston, and was very inspired to become a startup founder, uh, but also realized that she needed to start just by building her career as an engineer. And she moved to the United States um, on a scholarship, ended up going to university here, graduating with a master's from one of the best universities in the United States, and then still couldn't find a job. So she couldn't find a job locally in Gaza, being the top woman in her class, the top person, period, in her class. And then she couldn't find a job in the United States, graduating from one of the top universities. And she applied to 60 jobs before anyone ever even picked up her resume. And then when they did pick up her resume, she bombed all of the first interviews because it turns out that to pass an interview is a whole set of soft skills and cultural context that people just don't know if they don't have an alumni network coming from a university like Stanford or MIT, she would have found a job immediately. That university would have given her that network and the resume screening process would have been super easy and she would have just known how to prepare for the interviews. Uh, but she didn't have that. And everyone screening her resume must have been looking at the fact that she went to Al-Azhar University in Gaza, you know, and had no idea whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And so she just couldn't make it past that resume screen. So fast forward till 
many years, no, not that many years later, a couple of years later, she was the uh, tech lead of one of the most important tech teams at NVIDIA building autonomous driving systems. She got promoted, by the way, after she got the job faster than anybody else I know to senior engineer and to tech lead, which shows you that she had the skills for the job, right? Um, and I was working at a tech company in Silicon Valley where we could hire remotely from anywhere in the world for all of our talent. In fact, we were running the largest talent marketplace in the world. That was our product. And we uh, both met up and realized that we couldn't find good software engineers, that we were struggling to hire really good engineers. We were hiring a lot of engineers with experience, but they were what we call plateau engineers, um, kind of these people who never really get past mid-level um, and who don't contribute to the product as much as you would really like your engineering team to be doing. Um, and so when we saw how hard it was to hire good talent and we knew about the talent back in Palestine, uh, we decided we wanted to do something to basically decrease this friction. She knew exactly what that friction was between the talent and the employers because she had been through it herself. And she said, this doesn't have to be so painful. We can make it easier. And then as a result, we can hire good talent and, um, and the talent can have great opportunities. And most importantly, we were both looking for women engineers. So she had the experience after arriving to her company, not only of having trouble finding good talent, but always being the only woman on every technical team that she was on, um, which was not only frustrating, but also she knew that women bring a lot in terms of the perspective and the style of collaboration um, and the ideas that come from diverse teams end up really making companies much more successful. So she wanted it not only for herself to feel more comfortable, but also for the company to be more successful. And I had the same thing at my company. We prided ourselves on diversity. All of our metrics were amazing across the company and we knew how important it is for the business success. But literally uh, the engineering team uh, around had around 300 people and maybe two of them were women. Wow, that's yeah, that's quite a, a stark difference, isn't it? And I was actually while you were talking, wondering actually, would um, would her experience have been different if she had been a man? So even though she had gone to university in Gaza and then got the, her master's degree in the US, um, if if she'd been a man, do you think she would have faced the same challenges about getting a, absolutely? A job? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, well. Women do face some additional challenges, which I'll talk about for sure, but Monada works with both women and men. Uh, we focus on this region because we believe it's the next Eastern Europe for tech talent. I, I'm from Poland. I remember when there were no jobs in Poland and Poland was just kind of overlooked as a source of talent. And of course, that has changed. And at this point, companies like Google in Poland are importing talent from Palestine or from the whole Arab region because uh, Poland's economy has done so well and there's just not enough talent. So we really believe in the talent in the region. Um, it's one of the youngest populations in the world. So it's also a large source of talent growing quickly, huge investments in education, more investments in education than OECD countries in the last 10 years. Um, and so very highly educated population. Um, and so that's why we're working with both men and women in the region, but also it is the region that has in many countries, more women studying computer science, more women in technical fields than any other country. And so that's really interesting for companies that want to have gender diverse teams. There's just a lack of pipeline in um, the West. Women are just not studying these fields to solve that in the West. You have to go down to the middle school level or you have to 
have zero to hero boot camps. Um, whereas in this region, women are graduating already with these degrees um, and often already have multiple years of experience because at Monado, we work with people who have up to eight years of experience. It's not just new grads. Uh, but going back to your question around um, would men have faced the same problem? I remember one of our first alumni uh, was somebody who, similar to Layla, was a man, had gotten a master's degree. Uh, he also happened to be from Gaza, by the way, got a master's degree uh, in the United States, and then also really struggled to get his resume seen. So there's just something about that initial university that you go to if you've gone to that university in a country where the universities aren't recognized in the West it makes it a lot harder for a company to take a bet on you, I think. Um, and uh, you don't have a referral network, and often it's the referral network that gets you past the resume screen in the first place. And somehow getting that master's degree is not enough to build up that referral network. By the way, this guy is now a senior software engineer at Amazon in Canada. Um, he got that job offer pretty early on in the United States, but um, couldn't accept it because the United States is awful with immigration and just wouldn't let him stay in the United States after getting his uh, master's degree. So he ended up at a startup in Germany that at the time nobody had ever heard of uh, because Germany allowed him to relocate. And that's actually one of the reasons why at Monado we are so focused on the demand in the European market, because we see that there's a really big interest in diversity in Europe, gender diversity, but also in Muslims, refugees, et cetera. Um, and that for those companies that are hiring remotely, it's a perfect fit because it's the same time zone. It's like Latin America is to the United States. But for the companies that are looking to relocate, it's uh, even after Brexit, quite easy in the United Kingdom, really easy in Germany, Poland, et cetera. Um, I would be happy to talk to you more about the challenges that women face specifically, but I think bottom line, Anyone that's coming from an emerging market is going to lack the networks and the know-how, especially on the behavioral side of how to even interact with the recruiter. The fact that you can ask a recruiter what the interview process is like is not something people realize. And so immediately people who come from the West and have networks that teach them these things have a leg up. Mm. I also think it's going back to your earlier point around um, how there's a really high number of graduates in um Palestine and, and that region for um, software engineering or similar fields, but there aren't as many opportunities within those regions. I think it's quite interesting that there's still the, the push from, from people, particularly females, to complete degrees in those areas, knowing that in their direct communities there might not be the opportunity, but that they might have to look further afield. It's maybe quite a brave decision to even continue down that field of study. Yeah, well, I think it's absolutely. I think the bravest is anyone who has been working. Um, and like I said, we work with software engineers who have up to eight years of experience. Those people, the fact that they have eight years of experience or four years or five years, however many years it is um, in their local markets, is a much stronger signal of talent than somebody having a job in the United States or Europe after graduating from university, because we're talking about a region where on average, it's 40% unemployment for college grads. And in places like Gaza, it's 70% unemployment. And in places like Gaza, for a woman computer scientist, it's 83% unemployment. So I think part of the challenge for companies in the West and part of what we're solving at Monada is not knowing what are those signals of quality when you're looking at a resume that's from a region that 
you know, you don't know if it's good that they went to German University of Cairo. You don't know, you know, what to look for really is this, is 80% GPA a good thing or a bad thing, et cetera, right? Um, and so I just want to say one of the first signals of quality is that somebody has even started to work um, or has worked many years successfully in, in a region like this. Um, sometimes we see our engineers get started in automation QA, so uh, quality assurance kind of jobs. And in the United States that might be seen, or in Europe that might be seen as a signal that they weren't able to get a software engineering job immediately out of college. Here, it's just a reflection of the jobs that are available in their local market. And it's a great sign that they found a way to get started and then get promoted out of that into a software engineering role. Um, going back though, to the uh, kind of extra friction that women face. So, in this region specifically, women are expected to go to college. There's a very high standard in this region around learning English, around just going to be very well educated. Women are not expected necessarily to work after college. And so uh, to your point around women being brave, uh, I think um, the part that's really brave is when women end up deciding to continue working or even look abroad for work, whether remotely or on site. Uh, that latter piece really to them feels like a moonshot. Uh, like why would somebody abroad want me to come work there? Um, and uh, not having a lot of role models who have relocated. Um, parents often would rather their daughters go abroad. Actually, my co-founder and a lot of women in our community have told me this story where when, when she stayed in the United States after her master's degree to work, her parents were so embarrassed that their daughter had to work like they, they didn't want people to think that their family was dependent on her salary, um, that they ended up telling the neighborhood for a while that she was staying in the United States to get a PhD, because that's very kind of in the mental model is, yes, people go and study, but no, women wouldn't need to go work. Um, and so that's also a big part of Monada's role here is to change the cultural paradigm locally. And we do that by building community and by creating role models and really sharing those stories out uh, person to person and, and in events and in the media and through content creation, we really help these women share their stories because often they wouldn't share that. So that's the kind of extra friction that women face compared to men. There's also another friction that I think is across the world, which is around confidence. Um, and even companies like Wise in the UK have seen a similar uh, issue that we've faced at Monada, which is that women won't take a coding test, even though they're very qualified and they absolutely are ready to take the job interview and take a coding test as a part of the job interview. They just screen themselves up. They aren't confident enough to take it. Um, and at Monada, we have a coding test similar to what employers have before we even let anybody into our training, because our training is just like a little finishing school to bridge the gap to the international job. So we're already expecting somebody to have the skills necessary for the job. And so we screen them just like an employer would screen them. Um, but we realized pretty early on that women somehow weren't filling out the application. And so we ended up putting on a series of events and programming just around supporting women with taking the coding test, not because they don't have the skills for it, but because we needs to be made to feel safer. Um, and WISE is a great um, example of that in the UK where uh, you may have heard of WISE Women Code. They're actually putting on 
uh, a weekend of hackathons before women applied to join the company. It's optional, of course, but it's for women. A lot of women attend it. And as a part of the hackathon, they demystify the whole coding test part of the application, which I think is brilliant. Mm. Why, where do you think that lack of confidence comes from? That is a perennial question, and I'm not sure that there's any research to explain it. You know, in the United States, we often think, or I grew up thinking, that there was something specific around lack of confidence for women when it comes to STEM fields, so science, technology, engineering, math. And being in the Middle East really debunked that for me, because um, in the United States, I grew up with stories like from my brother, for instance, he was an engineering leader at a startup after working 10 years at Google. He went back to Google to recruit engineers to his team. And every time he asked a woman to join his team, a woman engineer at Google, she would say, I'm not sure I'm qualified and screen themselves out of the applying to the startup, right? The the confidence apparently just would not come, right? There's a mentor at Monada. One of our big models at Monada is to build this mentor community that, um, becomes this person-to-person piece of the ed tech experience that we're building because we don't believe that things like confidence can be learned just through software. Um, And a big part of it is having other people talk to you continuously about how they've built their confidence. Um, And that's what we get through our alumni networks, right? That's what we get through groups of women that we're connected to professionally in the West and that these women in the region lack. Um, And one of the women in our network, uh, Reem, she's an engineering director at Google. um, And I remember her telling our community once about how she wasn't even thinking of asking for a promotion at Google. And then one of her male colleagues said he was going to be going up for a promotion and wanted her recommendation or something. And she was like, what? If this guy's going up, like, I'm better than this guy. And so she thought, well, okay, if he's going up, I guess I'll try too. You have to self-nominate, right? So she would have screened herself out if she hadn't seen him doing it. She went ahead and gave it a try. She got selected and he didn't for the promotion, right? Um, but I will say in the region, what I found when I got there and part of what later inspired Manana was um, I would talk to women about the stigma and the lack of confidence. And they would say, what stigma are you talking about? we all know that women are better at math and science than men. And I was like, oh, oh, do we? (laughs) Okay, then that's a better starting point than what we face in the West. So let's build off of that. So what what are the challenges that women face here? Um, And by the way, the backstory for that is this is the only region of the world where girls outperform boys in high school math which is a super special thing. And the reason that women end up studying technical fields and universities at equal rates to men, I think really comes out of that. And I think the, the reason for that is probably twofold. One is that momentum builds momentum. And so historically women have just been, you know, like their moms are all physics teachers or studied, you know, technical fields in college. And the expectation culturally is that they study these fields and that they're strong at these fields. It's the story they all hear growing up. Uh, But I think maybe part of the evolution for that is that in the West, there's data that shows that girls and boys, when they're separated at the middle school or high school level, the girls' performance in math goes up and the boys' performance in language and literature goes up. And this is a region where due to Islam, a lot of schools have been separated for boys and girls. And so I've never seen that data applied to this region. That's my hypothesis or conclusion that I'm creating, but I think it must be one of the reasons why the performance is so much stronger 
um, in math, but still the confidence gap is there even in this region. And it's more around just general business confidence, just general, like not screening yourselves out of any opportunity, um, as opposed to the lack of confidence in technical skills specifically. Yeah. And it, it also comes back to that idea of networks as well and knowing um, that you can ask someone their advice to say, you know, I'm thinking about applying for this or I'm thinking about doing something and bouncing an idea off someone who may have may have been there or know someone else that's been there. And perhaps that that element of community is missing in order to empower people to be able to make an informed choice about that that is key that is key and so often I talk to people in um the west who say oh yeah I know one or two people who've moved from an emerging market whether the middle east um or sub-saharan africa or wherever like nigeria and like yeah they're great if they figured it out themselves why does a solution need to exist well a very small number of people will do it themselves like the pioneers. But the truth is there's a much larger population where this should just be the given path. If there's no job locally, get one internationally. If you are in a war zone and you would rather not be in a war zone, relocate to a safe country, right? Um, And the fact that it is so rare and unique is really the problem that we're out there to solve. And we believe that it requires a few things. So a very, very key component is the community. And so that's what people come to put people come to Monado knowing that we can get them into companies like Google and Meta and Amazon. Most of the, our, our talent has gone to the top companies in the world. And so that's what brings them to us originally. But what we hear over and over again is it's the community that really creates the magic and that they didn't realize how starved they were for a community like this until we brought them into this community. And it's really powerful also that it's not just Palestine, that it's covering the whole Arab region. Um, because when you come from an emerging market that it's pretty small, you eventually meet a lot of those people, you have that community, but then to be connected to the top, top, top talent in Morocco, Algeria, et cetera, Iraq is one of our biggest communities now. Um, that's where you end up with a larger population of people like you who are super ambitious, super smart, um, being successful, working really hard, and then uplifting you with them, right? So every group of alumni is coming back and teaching what they didn't know six months ago, building that confidence of I was in your shoes six months ago and I made it. If I made it, you can make it too, right? Um, And um, those who have eight years of experience coming back and being like, here's the difference between eight years of experience in this region versus eight years of experience in Europe. Here's where I struggled during my first six months on the job. Let's make the onboarding easier. I think that might be part of the connection to L&D and part of where we're heading is moving beyond just bridging the gap initially, but also creating a really soft landing for people when they arrive. So yeah, so community is key. The other thing that we've realized is key is that people, if we don't exist, all have to reinvent the wheel in terms of figuring out the process. Um, So we've basically created this ed tech platform where they come in and it tells them what they need to learn and tracks their progress. And people love that it's all in one place because the world is content rich. It's not that this content doesn't exist, but it is so fragmented on the internet that you end up hearing so many different things in different forums about what you should go learn. 
and you just get distracted and you spend too much time on the wrong things and you um, really don't know how to put together this content to get to where you need to go. So the first thing we do is create that content. And then the second thing we do is weave the community in throughout the content. So in addition to doing weekly sessions with people coming and giving tech talks and things like that, um, we also connect people to first each other for peer mock interviews and peer kind of confidence building sessions uh, after they complete the first module. And then after they complete the second module, they get the same kind of connections to alumni. And then after they complete the third module, they get those kinds of connections to our global mentor network. And we've seen that that kind of progression keeps people super motivated and builds their confidence at just the right um, kind of pace at every step. I mean, that sounds really, really good. And the power of coaching and mentoring in that perspective is, I, I imagine, really powerful for people to be able to, again, know that someone else has been in their shoes, like you say, but also be able to provide that guidance for their particular situation as well. And you've mentioned, you briefly mentioned L&D there. And I think one of the things that L&D struggles with in general is diversity, whether that's, you know, um, di- maybe not so much diversity of thought but diversity of voices within the industry of backgrounds of ethnicity um, and but also for, from um, when you're hiring into your own teams how do you hire diversity particularly in tech within L&D um, is, that, is that something that you're that you've seen that you have experience of? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, the tech industry just really struggles with hiring diverse tech teams. It's very easy as an early stage startup to um, just be focused on uh, getting whoever you can get quickly. And then before you know it, you have a 10 or 20 person engineering team that all looks the same. And that immediately makes it harder to attract somebody else to that team, right? So it's this whole thing of momentum builds momentum. And Uh, One thing that I uh, see that's positive in the world these days is I'm noticing a lot of startups paying attention to it a lot sooner than they used to. And that happens regardless of who their leadership team is or who the initial engineering team is. Not not always, not across the board, but I do think it's a much larger theme um, than it was uh, previously. And, And then the... I think that what the problem is, is that people still don't really know what the solutions are unless they're one of those startups that's really passionate about doing it themselves or um, at a scale up. uh, Some companies I see hiring somebody to really focus on this or setting it up as a goal for their team. Um, And when a company pays attention to a goal, just like any other goal, you can go through an iterative process and figure out a solution and reach it. Um, But if the company leadership uh, is not setting that goal, then I find that it's super hard for the team to make progress towards it because ultimately you do need to put, you need to invest in it. It's not something that's going to happen automatically. For instance, if your pipeline just doesn't have that talent locally, you might need to bring talent in from abroad or partner with these existing communities that are being built. Uh, Manara's for the Middle East and North Africa, but there's other communities for for other types of talent. Or you might have to put on events that are specific. Um, One thing that we've learned at Manara is that anytime you design a process that you think is neutral, it's not neutral. 
<laughs> and you have to go back and th rethink the whole process for, uh, you know, attracting a different type of user, just like you would for an onboarding flow. If you're trying to attract a different type of user, right? You would think of your persona, you would research that persona and design a whole experience for that persona. Um, and I think the problem in with diversity is that even though qualitatively any team that is has diverse voices on it will tell you that they feel like they're performing better, that there's more collaboration, more new ideas, et cetera. And even though the high level research proves that, it's very hard to measure that in any kind of um, increment that, um, that a business can make decisions off of, right? So if it's gonna take us this much funding to build a diverse team, and if it's gonna, potentially slow us down with filling these roles, if it might mean hiring somebody who's a mid-level engineer instead of a senior engineer, because there might not be enough senior engineering women, you know, in the market period, everyone's fighting over them, there's short supply. So maybe we would bring in somebody at mid-level who's on the cusp to senior. You know, these are trade-offs that have to be made to reach these goals. Um, and where I see it happening successfully is where leadership has just kind of understood from the general research and from their own experience how important it is and they do set those goals and hold people's feet to those goals. I do think in Europe though there's an opportunity now where governments are starting to require reporting on things like salary equity um, and that's putting a lot of fire under companies' feet to pay more attention to this because if it looks like men are earning more at the company than women then it really puts pressure on the company to figure out how to bring women into uh, leadership roles or into engineering roles or other roles that pay higher salaries. Mm. It's the eternal challenge, isn't it? That kind of senior stakeholder buy-in for things like this when you can't directly prove return on investment in those areas in, in a very kind of black and white way. But it's that like broader um, perspective of understanding why you're doing something and not necessarily having to have the the direct data but just an awareness of what's going on and, and how it's benefiting the company and I can understand why it's a little bit tricky. I guess the other thing that I would mention though is that bottoms up also has a really big impact in the space and we've seen it so often at Monada that we actually launched an award we're calling it the DEI champions in 2023 is the first time that we launched this award and what's special about it is it's not like an industry award for people who come from this profession and have had impact it's uh, some people like that are featured as well, but mostly it's for people who took it upon themselves to solve this problem, even though they were not in a place of authority at their company. And uh, like our partner at Google, who has really spearheaded um, the partnership with Monada, was doing it entirely out of passion and in his spare time. And he built up partnerships with 40 different diverse like providers of of talent that could diversify Google's teams uh, because he realized as a recruiter that um, there was just no way to build that pipeline without access to these communities. And then um, he was also super smart in that he then figured out how he could uh, kind of learn from the partners about the candidate experience because the candidates, it's hard to find out about their experience in the interview process directly. They're not going to tell you what it's like. 
but the partners know the partners hear everything and can come back and also say what other companies are doing. And he, as a result, um, was able to build in some pieces of the process differently for this talent pipeline, like having a one-on-one call with a recruiter for every single person in the pipeline to just put a face on Google before ever showing up to an interview. And then similarly, a one-on-one call with an engineer who's just there to demystify the process before ever showing up to an interview. And that's the kind of thing that he was able to create with like little bits of buy-in from leadership, but mostly just by finding an engineer here who would want to help an engineer there and just pulling them into the process and then showing that it was working, that there was enthusiasm internally and bringing that to the higher ups. Mm, that's brilliant and really, really thoughtful, thought-provoking tips there that other companies might be able to to make use of too. And just just to explain that last piece a little bit, we hear so often at Monada that if the first time that they meet somebody at this at a international company is for an interview. First of all, it might feel a lot higher pressure for them because they might not feel like they're going to get as many opportunities or it might have just taken so much more effort to get to that interview in the first place. That puts a lot of pressure on it. Um, And then secondly, it's like meeting a foreign planet for the first time. Uh, And there's just nervousness that first time of realizing, oh, no, this is just another human being like me, right? Um, And then finally often there's accents that are different. And if people haven't been just exposed to what an Indian accent is like or a Chinese accent is like, right? Um, All of these accents are represented in the tech sector. And sometimes uh, our community, if they haven't had enough exposure to accents before their interview, will come back and say, I couldn't even understand what I was being asked. And then I got, I didn't know if it was okay for me to follow up and you know and so that's part of what these kinds of processes those kinds of tweaks we made with google also helped to solve um it, it does sound from, from everything that you said so far it sounds like manara um have quite a unique position within the particular market that you're working in is that is that accurate are there, are there any is there anyone else doing what you're doing in the regions you're doing it No, there's nobody else connecting this region to the global tech market. Yeah, so you're in a, and it sounds like you're in a really strong position there to to continue making change. And on that note, what is next for for Monaro over over the coming months and year? Yeah, so first we're um, building out our ed tech platform and going to be scaling our community into that platform to prove the scalability of this. We have been very successful running a cohort model with up to 200 people per cohort, um, and we can continue to do that. Uh, but ultimately, we're a business as well, and we need to figure out how do we um, do this in a way that is profitable, and how do we, we're on a really big mission, and so we, our mission ultimately is to untap all human potential. And there's so much potential on the planet, including from people who have a lot of work experience, but just not being fully utilized in their markets. And what breaks our hearts is to see what we call internal brain drain, which is in these markets where there's not enough opportunity, um, people uh, kind of just being underutilized uh, or not utilized. And so our mission is to change that. And we know that when we do, these people are going to accelerate global business and global business success. And then they're also going to be launching their own companies. And this region will become a hub for um, tech innovation. So that's already starting. Um, uh, We're seeing more hiring happening in this region and Saudi and the UAE. We 
when we launched, we didn't think we would have hiring partners locally in the region. Uh, we do. And it turns out that our services are really valuable locally as well. So to summarize it, the first is the ed tech platform and building out a version of what we do in a way that is profitable and highly scalable so that we can have impact across multiple categories and across multiple regions while still maintaining this sense of community uh, for each group of people that we serve, because that is the real magic that we create. Um, and then uh, second, it's expanding uh, to the region, as well as to Europe. I think a lot of companies still don't know that we exist, uh, that we offer these services. Um, and then third, it's thinking about what happens beyond the initial hire. So like I mentioned, we're starting to look at uh, what is specific to diverse talent or to people coming from diverse backgrounds during the first six months of onboarding. What is specific to their experience when it's time to go up for a promotion? Um, what is specific to their experience that may have had to do with relocation? Um, like people sometimes three, four years after relocation are starting to think, you know, when they have kids, et cetera, do I stay? Do I go back home? Um, and part of those groups will go back home and they will be the next startup founders for the region. We believe that this community is going to benefit um, from the connection to itself at every stage in this journey. And so ultimately we're looking to build a life cycle solution, not just that initial step. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to see all of the things that you achieve over the coming coming weeks, months and years. Um, because it sounds like it's, you know, you're making real waves of change um, across a whole host of industries. So thank you, Eliana, for sharing. Um, and I look forward to following your journey uh, more in the future. Thank you so much, Helen. I really admire your work and it's a pleasure to have been here. This podcast is powered by Thrive. We're a complete learning and skills platform creating modern learning solutions for modern businesses globally. Check us out.